Sit back. What NFC East quarterback? Relax. In the movie Ocean's Eleven. Put on your think cap. What prized possession did Danny Ocean get ready for the show? In chemistry, what is the name of the principal? And here's your host. During what year was the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Kevin. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Think Cap Trivia Podcast. My name is Kevin, and it's my pleasure to be your host. For those of you tuning in for the first time, let me go over how this podcast is structured. At the beginning of the show, I will pose usually about 10 trivia questions to you and give you a few moments to think of your answers. Then I will go through each question one by one and give you the answer and the history or data or some fun facts behind the answer. So this isn't your standard trivia outfit that just gives you a question and an answer. I will give you a brief breakdown that will hopefully satisfy all your curious minds while also entertaining you with my banter. And please do not be frustrated if you don't get many questions correct. I uh, do tend to choose questions that hedge towards being a little more difficult because they're generally just more interesting to research and break down and talk about for you guys. So my goal is that even if you're not the biggest trivia buff in the world, ThinkCap will become your go-to podcast to just supplement your knowledge and help you learn a little bit uh, along your commutes um, home or to work or to school or even when you're just hanging out at home and want to learn something new. The show is all general trivia topics, so you never know what you're going to get each week. And if you are a fan of my show, or if you enjoy what you're about to hear, I ask that you please recommend my podcast to a friend or to a fellow trivia lover. Getting the word out there about ThinkCap really helps my ability to grow and produce more content for you guys. Um, And to keep up with that content, you can follow ThinkCap at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P on Instagram, or follow along on Facebook with the same name. I post fun facts and historical events and... There may even be some merch giveaways in the coming months, so be on the lookout for all of that. And with that being said, let me once again welcome you to ThinkCap, and let's get this show started. So I've got a couple different questions for you today, like I said, and what I'm going to do is read each question for you and give you a couple moments to think about each one, and then go through and break down each question one by one. So sit back and relax, and let me read these questions for you. Question number one. What U.S. president was the target of two assassination attempts within 17 days? Once again, what U.S. president was the target of two assassination attempts within just 17 days? Question number two. What is the most densely populated state in the United States with approximately 1,200 people per square mile? Once again, what is the most densely populated state in the United States with approximately 1,200 people per square mile? Question number three. From the Greek word meaning flesh-eating, what do you call the coffin-like box that many pharaohs were laid to rest in? Once again, from the Greek word meaning flesh-eating, what do you call the coffin-like box that many pharaohs were laid to rest in? Question number four. On the television show The Simpsons, 
What was the name of Ned Flanders' wife? Once again, on the TV show The Simpsons, what was the name of Ned Flanders' wife? Question number five. Ceramin is the technical name for what substance that is produced by humans and other mammals? Once again, ceramin is the technical name for what substance that is produced by humans and other mammals? Question number six. How much money did the United States pay France for the land in the Louisiana Purchase? Once again, how much money did the United States pay France for the land in the Louisiana Purchase? Question number seven. Considerably smaller than depicted in the Jurassic Park movies, about how tall were velociraptors in reality? Once again, considerably smaller than depicted in the Jurassic Park movies, about how tall were velociraptors in reality? Question number eight. What is the coldest temperature that can be achieved in Celsius. Once again, what is the coldest temperature that can be achieved in Celsius? Question number nine, what is the only mammal that can fly? Once again, what is the only mammal that can fly? And question number 10. The Eiffel Tower was constructed for what 1889 event? Once again, the Eiffel Tower was constructed for what 1889 event? All right, so now that I have read all 10 questions for you this week and given you a few moments to think of your answers, let me circle back, uh, starting back over with question number one, and give you the question, the answer, and a little bit of detail behind each answer. Alright, so your first question was, what U.S. president was the target of two assassination attempts within 17 days? And your correct answer is Gerald Ford. President Ford is the right answer on... September 5th of 1975 in Sacramento, California, a woman named Lynette Squeaky Fromm attempted to shoot Ford. Fromm was an avid uh, Charles Manson cult follower and targeted Ford as a symbol for her hatred for the political establishment. During her attempt, Fromm was unable to get a shot off and was quickly taken away by Secret Service officers but she had every intention of killing the president. She ended up being sentenced to a life in prison for those assassination charges, obviously, but she was paroled from prison on August 14th of 2009 after serving just about 34 years in prison. She then moved to Marcy, New York, where she and her boyfriend, Robert Waldner, who himself pleaded guilty to a manslaughter charge in 1988, live in a house decorated with skulls. So that gives you everything you gotta know about that woman, but 
uh, she is out, she is free, and she is living. So that's kind of crazy to think that someone who attempted to murder the president is kind of just out there living her life. But anyway, back to the second assassination attempt, just 17 days after Fromm's attempt on September 22nd of the same year, 1975, Sarah Jane Moore aimed a gun at President Ford as he left the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco. Moore was able to pull the trigger and fire off one shot that thankfully missed Ford by a few feet, and she blames her unfamiliarity with the firearm she was using for her missed shot because she only just purchased that gun that morning. Uh, she did get a second shot off, but the attempt was thwarted by a bystander whose name was Oliver Sippel, who heroically grabbed her arm as soon as she raised the gun, and this action undoubtedly saved the president's life. The bullet hit a wall just about six inches above his head and ricocheted and ended up hitting a bystander, but the, the bystander was not seriously harmed, so everything ended up pretty okay. Moore was uh, later sentenced to a life in prison, and she too was paroled on December 31st of 2007 after serving 32 years. Um, after that attempt, Secret Service agents quickly hustled Ford into a vehicle that was there for him and sped him to safety. And he would finish out his term without further incident. Now it is interesting, those two attempts were the only attempts uh, in assassinating a president by women and they happened back to back within 17 days of each other no other woman has attempted to assassinate a president um, so that's a fun fact for you there too uh, president ford would go on to live to the age of 93 and although he was able to cheat death twice all those years ago he did eventually pass away in his home in california on december 26th of 2006 and question number two was, what is the most densely populated state in the United States with approximately 1,200 people per square mile? And your correct answer is New Jersey. New Jersey is the right answer. New Jersey is followed by Rhode Island, who has just over 1,000 people per square mile, and Massachusetts, who has over 850 people per square mile. And Clearly, a lot of this can be attributed to commuters to New York City having easy routes to the city even while living across state borders in New Jersey. I have a couple fun New Jersey facts here for you. Uh, New Jersey has the most shopping malls in one area of the world, with seven malls in just a 25 square mile radius of each other. I guess you gotta have a bunch of malls for all those people. The first radio station broadcast came from Patterson, New Jersey. The street names in the Monopoly board game are named after actual streets in Atlantic City. And speaking of Atlantic City, it is also the home to the longest boardwalk in the world. In addition, the world's tallest water tower, the Union Water Sphere, is located in Union, New Jersey. The first professional baseball game was played in Hoboken, New Jersey in 1846. And likewise, the first intercollegiate football game was played in New Brunswick in 1869 when Rutgers College took on Princeton. And Rutgers was actually able to win the game, which is a statement you probably aren't able to say too often these days. Um, in addition, New Jersey has 108 toxic waste dumps, which makes it the most out of any single state in the nation. 
And finally, this one uh, comes from personal experience. Uh, I'd say people from New Jersey are probably the most likely to argue with you about the quality of your state's pizza and bagels. Question number three was from the Greek word meaning flesh-eating. What do you call the coffin-like box that many pharaohs were laid to rest in? And your correct answer is a sarcophagus. Sarcophagus is the right answer, the plural being sarcophagi, and the earliest stone sarcophagi were used by Egyptian pharaohs of the third dynasty who ruled from about 2686 to 2613 BC. Many of them were designed to reflect the architecture of the palaces which the pharaohs reside. The sarcophagus was an important part of the ancient Egyptian burial process. At the time, they had strong beliefs that their being would continue on to the afterlife, so they prepared a dead person for this afterlife by embalming the body and wrapping it in linens, a process that many of you know as mummification. The body was then placed carefully into a box that fit between the mummy and the coffin, and the coffin would then be placed within the sarcophagus. So this wasn't really anything close to how we treat our deceased in modern times. The royalty were protected by the mummification process, and then on top of that, they had multiple casings over top of them, which is why their bodies ended up preserving so well over time. The sarcophagus was believed to be the eternal dwelling place of those who inhabit it, and essentially was a vessel into the afterlife the Egyptians believed that remembering a person's name would ensure that he or she would live on in the afterlife, so a sarcophagus also typically included the name of the person or people buried within. There would also be external decorations that uh, would record key life events or accomplishments of the deceased, and the sarcophagi also typically had eyes so that the descendant would be able to continue to view the world. Eventually, the, this just turned into the Egyptians carving the sarcophagus itself to look like the person within, and it followed the curve of the mummy's body entirely. For those of you who are familiar with King Tut's sarcophagus, it is uh, almost exactly described this way. It's, it follows the entire curvature of his body and has the eyes and is gilded and is just a really truly beautiful piece that is kind of crazy that it was made so long ago and has held up for all this time all right and question number four was on the television show the simpsons what was the name of ned flanders first wife and your correct answer is maud maud is the right answer for anyone who hasn't watched the simpsons or is unaware of these characters Ned Flanders is the hyper-religious next-door neighbor to the Simpsons. He is very mild-mannered and always means well, but he often finds himself as the butt of Homer's jokes and uh, others around Springfield. He and Maude had two children, being Todd and Rod. And much like Ned, Maude was a devout Christian who spent most of her life reading the Bible and praying but she was tragically killed in the 2000 episode entitled Alone Again, Natura Diddly. She is knocked off a grandstand at the Springfield Speedway during a t-shirt toss of a sporting event after Homer Simpson draws a target on his belly for the cheerleaders to shoot him some t-shirts. They instead hit Maud, and she tragically falls to her death. 
Now, the actual reason her character was killed off was due to a pay dispute between the actress who voiced her character and the show's producer. The actress, Maggie Rosewell, had moved from LA to Denver and had to travel back and forth twice a week to record her lines. Now, she grew tired of this and eventually requested a pay increase, but instead she was written off the show. Interestingly enough though, she was able to strike a deal with Fox to return to the show a couple years later, but she only ended up voicing other minor characters at the studio, which she had been voicing previously, but the, they decided they didn't want to bring Maud back from the dead. They thought that would just be a little bit too much unrealism for their cartoon. Um, but it did end up being a unique situation because she was able to return to the show. But I guess that's the easy out for cartoonists. If they have a dispute with a voice actor, they can easily just kill him off. And that brings us to question number five, which was Ceramin is the technical name for what substance that is produced by humans and other mammals? And your correct answer is earwax. Yes, earwax is the common name for ceramin, and I don't want to gross anybody out here, so I'll just quickly go through what it is and what earwax does for our bodies, um, and then we'll move on. Earwax consists of dead skin cells, hair, and the secretions of ceramin by the ceremonious and sebaceous glands in the outer ear canal. Major components of earwax are long-chain fatty acids, both saturated and unsaturated, alcohols, squalene, and cholesterol. And yes, it is gross, so like I said, uh, I'll, I'll tell you it does serve a purpose. It actually protects the skin of the human ear canal and assists in cleaning and lubrication, providing protection against bacteria, fungi, and water. So yes, while it is gross, it is beneficial. Your body does do it for a reason, but with that being said, let's move on to the next question. And that question is question number six, which read, how much money did the United States pay France for the land in the Louisiana Purchase? And your correct answer to that one is $15 million. The United States bought this enormous piece of land that stretched diagonally from Louisiana all the way up into Montana and even a tiny bit into modern day Canada on April 30th of 1803. Even though it doubled the size of the country, the purchase was not a popular decision in Congress and only passed in a 59 to 57 vote. So it was pretty close with many detractors uh, not believing that Jefferson had the right to make such a large purchase of land and feared that the acquisition would eventually lead to war. Now, it is worth noting that France did not even really have direct control over the majority of this land, as most of it was still inhabited by Native Americans who had lived there for centuries. Rather, France just felt that they claimed the right to that land. So the purchase gave the U.S. the right to obtain that land in future treaties or by conquest or a combination of both. Now, at a price of $15 million to acquire 828,000 square miles, they only spent about $18 per square mile of land, which is fascinating, but if you extrapolate that out to today's money, the total would be over $340 million for the purchase, which is still only just over $400 per square mile. 
question number seven now was considerably smaller than depicted in the Jurassic Park movies about how tall were velociraptors in reality? And your correct answer is just about a half a meter, which equates to about 1.6 feet tall. Now, the name Velociraptor means swift Caesar or speedy thief in Latin. Velociraptors lived during the late Cretaceous period, which occurred about 75 to 71 million years ago. Their fossils have been found chiefly in the Gobi Desert, which spans an area about northern China and southern Mongolia. And while they stood just only as tall as a modern turkey, their bodies were very long and parallel to the ground, growing up to 2 meters, or about 6.5 feet, in length. In 1971, a Polish-Mongolian team discovered the famous Fighting Dinosaurs fossil in which a Velociraptor appears to be locked in combat with a Protoceratops. The Protoceratops was a sheep-sized herbivore and ancestor to the more famous Triceratops. The fossil is honestly very fascinating to look at. I, again, recommend that you look up a photo of it. It's, it's pretty cool. The Velociraptor has one of its foot claws embedded into the neck of the Protoceratops, and the Protoceratops is strongly biting down on one of the Velociraptor's arms, which most likely broke it. And the theory goes that they must have been uh, swept by a giant instant sandstorm in order to die in such a dramatic pose, but it really was a really cool fossil for just to look at and for researchers to learn a little bit more about the behaviors of the Velociraptor as well as the Protoceratops. But this raises the question that although they are known to be famous predators, why were Velociraptors so big and scary and intelligent in the Jurassic Park films? And the correct answer, I believe, is mostly the name Velociraptor just sounded way cooler and more intimidating than the animal that the raptors in the movie were actually modeled after. In reality, paleontologists say that the creatures in Jurassic Park are actually a different type of dinosaur altogether, being a Deinonychus. Yes, Deinonychus is the name of the animals that were modeled in Jurassic Park, and while they were similar, the Deinonychus was essentially a scaled-up version of the Velociraptor who lived during the early Cretaceous period, which is about 115 to 108 million years ago, and their fossils while Velociraptors were found mostly in China and Mongolia, the Deinonychus is, has only been found within the United States borders. So while it did make for some great film, um, there are definitely plenty of paleontologists out there who cringe whenever they're watching Jurassic Park and have to see what is clearly a Deinonychus being called a Velociraptor. And question number eight now. What is the coldest temperature that can be achieved in Celsius? And your correct answer is negative 273.15 degrees Celsius. If you said minus 273, I'll give that one to you too. But this temperature was derived in the 1800s through a study of the relationship between the volume and the temperature of a gas. 
Scientists theorized that the volume of a gas should become zero at a temperature of minus 273.15 Celsius, making that number the coldest temperature achievable. The reason for this is that temperature is a measure of the energy contained in the particles of a substance, basically how fast the atoms are moving around. When something has a high temperature, the atoms expand and move around rapidly, but when it has a low temperature, they contract and move much more slowly. When a particle reaches minus 273.15 degrees Celsius, it has stopped moving completely. This concept is known as absolute zero and became the motivator for an entirely new temperature scale called Kelvin. British inventor and scientist William Thompson came up with the scale, which has the exact same temperature increments as Celsius, but it does not have any negative numbers. Therefore, zero Kelvin is equal to 273.15 degrees Celsius, and zero degrees Celsius is equal to 273.15 Kelvin. And while zero Kelvin, absolute zero, can technically not be achieved, it can be explained by Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, which, if you recall, we discussed on the first podcast. In that podcast, I told you that the more precisely we know a particle's speed, the less we know about its position, and vice versa. So, if you think about it, if you know the atoms are contained in your experiment, there must be some uncertainty in their momentum, keeping them logically above absolute zero. This is, of course, unless your experiment is the size of the entire universe. Now, in spite of this, scientists have attempted to reach absolute zero, and in 2003, a group of MIT scientists were able to lower the temperature of a cloud of sodium atoms to just a fraction of a Kelvin, 0.45 nanokelvin, through extremely sophisticated techniques. And this is a record that still stands as the coldest temperature ever recorded and really is a remarkable feat that we as human beings were able to make something that small, that cold. Question number nine now was a simple one. What is the only mammal that can fly? And your correct answer is a bat. Yes, bats are mammals and they clearly have the ability to fly. There are over 1,200 different species of bats with wingspans ranging from just six inches all the way up to about five feet. And yes, they are true mammals. Like I said, they are born live. They drink the milk of their mothers and they have hair. But unlike other flying animals like birds whose bones are hollow to keep them light for flight, Bats have true mammalian bodies. Their, their bone structure is similar to that of other mammals, and I encourage you to look up a photo of a bat skeleton. It's pretty cool. Instead of having standard arms and fingers like other mammals, their forearm bones are longer and slightly angular, and their fingers are even longer still, and obviously there's a piece of skin over the entire portion to create their wings. In order to keep themselves light and able to fly, bats digest food extremely rapidly, being able to excrete their food in, in under an hour after consuming it. And speaking of food, I would be amiss not to mention that yes, there are three species of vampire bats who consume blood. 
But no, they don't bite humans and suck their blood exactly like Dracula, but they are adept at locating arteries in their prey and biting that area which allows them to lap up the blood, kind of like a demonic cat. Their saliva acts as an anticoagulant which keeps the blood flowing and allows them to get more out of every meal that they undertake. And while humans are not their first choice, if you were to fall asleep outside in the range of a vampire bat, you very well could become a meal during your slumber. But there is no chance that the loss of blood would become lethal as vampire bats only consume about a tablespoon of blood in every feeding. As an interesting aside, the bats were named after vampires whose mythos existed long before men documented these animals' names. And again, not all bats feed on blood. Most choose to eat insects or local fruits and vegetables. So when you see a small bat flying around at nighttime, you don't have to be worried that he will swoop down and feed on you like you might see in some old horror movie. And question number 10, this is our last question of this week's podcast. The Eiffel Tower was constructed for what 1889 event? And your correct answer, is the World Fair. The World Fair is the right answer. The Eiffel Tower was named after Gustave Eiffel, who was a French civil engineer whose firm would win the design competition to determine who would erect the centerpiece for the 1889 World Fair located in Paris. And the original drawings for the iconic structure were created by Maurice Coughlin and Emile Norgeyer, who worked for Eiffel's firm. Construction of the tower began in July 1887 and was completed on March 31st of 1889. There were groups who protested and signed petitions not to have the structure built, fearing that it would become an ugly metal black eye that just loomed over the city. You see, at the time, metal construction was still not popular, but Eiffel wanted to display that metal would in fact be just as strong as stone while also being much lighter. In the end though, it did end up becoming a world-renowned masterpiece, as I'm sure you're aware. The tower is constructed using 18,000 pieces of wrought iron that weighed about 7,300 tons in total. 60 tons of paint were required to protect the exposed metal from elemental wear. The Eiffel Tower was the tallest structure in the world for a couple of decades, until the Chrysler Building was completed in New York City in 1930. The tower itself was only intended to be a temporary structure that would be deconstructed after about 20 years, but over time the former detractors to the project came to love the now iconic tower, and Eiffel himself decided to add utility to his creation by adding a meteorology lab in hopes of prolonging the structure's life. In World War I, it proved to be a fantastic tool for transmitting wireless telegraphs because of its prolific height. But in the end, the French people became adorned with the tower and it proved to be useful to the city and the country, and that's the reason why it still stands proudly over Paris to this day. And now that brings us to the end of our show. If you have made it this far, I thank you for hanging out with me and I hope that you learned a little bit if you enjoyed the show, uh, please leave a review, like, subscribe, or follow if you can. Any feedback from you guys is huge and really helps to take this podcast to the next level. 
And speaking of podcasts, I am actually going to be featured on a friend of mine's podcast, or multiple friends, the good gentleman over at Vaughn Lawn. Um, They're starting their Cut to the Root podcast, where they discuss uh, local people who have side jobs and work hard outside of their normal life to follow their passions. So they located me as, again, a longtime friend, but also someone who has a sort of side business, myself running this podcast and being a trivia host. So I encourage you to follow those guys on Instagram at vaughnlawn.official, V-A-U-G-H-A-N-L-A-W-N dot official on Instagram, where you can see my podcast with those guys and listen to a little bit of my backstory, as well as being entertained by all of those great guys over at Vaughn Lawn. Um, while you're on Instagram, you can follow ThinkCap at T-H-I-N-K-K-A-P or follow on Facebook with the same name. There's going to be links to each streaming platform in my bio. Um, and in addition, there's going to be fun content posted, as I told you before. Um, on those social media sites, I really love to hear what you guys want to learn. If you have any fun trivia facts or if you want questions pertaining to a certain topic to be featured on the podcast, please leave that in your feedback or comment on any of my social media posts. So again, I thank you for listening and I will see you next week. Please take care.